are so glad that you are here today. Thank you for coming. Good crowd today. Praise the Lord. Oh, wait. And then, of course, the video shows up. God knows all of it. Yeah, it's still good. God knows all about it, and he is in control. And we are in the midst of a series called Luck Commander, kind of a takeoff of the Duck Commander. And the idea is the sovereignty of God. And this is something, you know, I shared with the Sunday school class. That's something we didn't really hear a whole lot about when I was growing up. You know, I'm 60 now, been in church most of my life, and really didn't hear that. And the, and the, the consequence of that is the concept or idea that, well, like, like we read about Wednesday night, chance and circumstance happens to everyone and, and Satan can take pot shots at us and then God tries to go on damage control and repair everything. But then we, we understand that God is all-powerful. God, listen to those words, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. In other words, He can be at Dorisville and First Baptist and the Presbyterian Church all at the same time. He is all those things. And it's really a powerful thought. And so what we did was, we, we started out with, with uh, Psalm 37, that the steps of a good man... Now listen, I'll try to say it slow. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God, you delight in His way. And even if He fall, He stumbles, He will not be utterly cast down, because you uphold Him. And one translation says this way, with your strong arm. And I love that verse. And again, if you're looking for a life verse, what an incredible one or two, actually it's two verses, to nail down Psalm 37, 23, and 24. Then we looked at Abraham, who was a pagan, you know, polyistic God guy, and, and, and God just spoke to him. And, and he believed God, and God counted for him for righteousness. And that was so cool, because that's us. We're pagans, and we believe God, and God counts it for us for righteousness. It wasn't performance. It wasn't keeping the rules. It was just Leaving God. And then we fast forwarded and we looked at David and how God chose this little shepherd boy. And, and everybody saw, yeah, he's the run of the litter and he's a shepherd boy. And, and God saw this king and he became a man after God's own heart. And, and we taught that day how that that's us. That, that we may be just a shepherd boy in the eyes of the world. But with God and God, what God wants to do, any and all things become possible. 
And then last week we looked at Jesus and focus finality and how he set his mind. He says, I to the cross and he refused to let anything stop him from that good or bad. And we talked about how God in his sovereignty knows exactly what's going on. And sometimes those are very difficult circumstances, but God still is aware of those circumstances and he can bring good out of those circumstances to each and every person. And today, in fact, I bumped Peter from the sermon list. I'm sorry, Paul. Today was just so cool. I, I made two sermons out of it. And I want to talk the next two weeks about Peter. Because, you know why? Because I think a lot of Peters go to church. I think our, our, every week in our worlds, we see Peters. And Peters are nice guys, and, and, but they have this, like, this, this thing about failure. And you know, we fail. And I said, you know, when I see Peter, I see Dwayne. And, and I see, sometimes I see in your life. And we wrestle with that. You know why? Because what comes along with failure is a nasty thing called guilt. In fact, I'm so good at it, I don't even have to do anything wrong and I feel guilty. I mean, I, I, just, I just feel guilty naturally. You know, I get up in the morning, oh, I feel guilty. You know, it's raining and the farmers don't need rain. Oh, it must be my fault. Oh, oh, oh I forgot the people starving in China. Somehow, that must be my fault too. And just naturally, this guilt thing comes on. And let me say this as a, as a, uh, a caveat out, outside the message, this. You know, we all hear voices. Did you know that? Kind of spooky, isn't it? But you know, there are voices that speak to our heart. And very often, we've got to be careful because the voice of the devil and the voice of the Holy Spirit can sound very similar. So we've got to be careful. And here's something, because again, normally you hear a voice and says, you're trash, you're scum, you're that. That usually follows a failure and you have this uck feeling, okay? If you've not heard this or you've forgotten this, write this down. I, I, it's not mine. I, I heard it somewhere in my life, Okay. If the voice that is condemning you is condemning you, if the voice tells you how bad you are, if the voice tells you what a failure you are, if the voice is telling you how can't believe God let you in the family anyway, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's Satan. You need to hear that today. Because again, all of us fail at some point. Some of us fail bigger there's always that condemning voice. Watch out for Satan because he wants to be the, the accuser of the brethren, the word calls him. Now, on the other hand, if the voice speaks and says that sin was wrong, that sin had consequences, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit will seek to bring you back home. The voice of Satan will drive you further from God with guilt. So write that down and remember that because it's a huge player in our lives, and about failure. You know, I, I, I did a little internet search real quick this morning, and I said, so, so who are some great... So I, write, I wrote in, in Google, great failures. So up pops this website, and it tells me, you know, about Abraham Lincoln. And y'all have all heard this one. You know, Abraham Lincoln, um, liked, although this part I thought was really cool. In his younger years, Abraham Lincoln went into the army as a captain and came out as a private. In case you're not familiar with the military, that's not exactly how it's supposed to work. All right? And then he ran for office 26 times and failed until he's finally elected president of the United States. How crazy is that? Then you got Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison tried 1,000 times to create a light bulb. And someone said, you obviously have failed 1,000 times. He goes, no, no, no. And he said, I have learned 1,000 ways not to make a light bulb. And then there's, there's, of course, Albert Einstein. 
Albert Einstein was called lazy and was discounted in grade school. When he finally did graduate, um, no college would take him. So he went to a trade school for a year and finally made it into the university where the professor said, you will account to nothing because you are nothing. And then the only job he could get was at a government patent office. No one would even give him a teaching position. And then there's Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan says this. In in my lifetime of basketball, I I have shot nine... I'm sorry, I have missed 9,000 shots. 26 times the ball was entrusted to me to make the game-winning shot, and I missed. I was a part of a team that lost 300 games. But he said this. Those failures are the reason I'm the success I am today. You see, failure, particularly when it pertains to God, is a forward thing, not a backwards thing. We need to learn as people to fail forward. We don't do that well. In fact, I then wrote and typed in Mr. Google or Miss Google, whoever it was. I said, okay, Miss Google or Mr. Google, tell me about great Christian failures. Amazingly, virtually nothing showed up. It's not that Christians don't fail. It's just that when you fail as a Christian, so often you're so buried on the rock pile of other people casting rocks at you that you never survive. I want to talk today. I want to preach today the Word of God. And I want to speak, one, to each one of us as people and our failures. But along the way, I hope we will also learn how do we handle the failures of other people. I will promise you this. It does not involve chucking a rock. Okay? So what we're going to do today, if you want to get your sermon sheet out, first off, we're going to listen to Jesus, a conversation that Jesus had with Peter before the great denial. Then I think we'd like to visit the garden and see how Jesus handled great pressure and how Peter listened and what Peter did, then hopefully we'll have time and we're going to sit in a dusty old courtyard 2,000 years ago around a fire with our friend named Peter and see how he handled the denial of Jesus. And then hopefully at the very end, just a quick, quick, quick thought of called sunrise. That's hope. And that will lead us into next week's message. So if you take your Bibles, please, and we're going to start out in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, or it's on your sermon sheet. If you've got a bulletin, there's a sermon sheet in there. There's a few lines there where you can take some quick notes. Now, the first chunk of scripture here is just pregnant with meaning. It really is. And, and the, the big caveat is, is that we see the sovereignty of God, even in our failures. We see that when God even sees a failure in our future, he is there in that. He doesn't run and hide somewhere. He is there. And I love this passage of Scripture. Here's what it says. It's after the Lord's Supper. It's after the the Lord's Supper. They're kind of walking to the garden. And Jesus says these words. He says, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, look out. Now, I would write that down. If Jesus was here today, he would look out there and say, hey, Madeline, watch out. He'd go back here and say, hey, Ron, watch out. He'd go over here, Charlie, hey, Charlie, watch out. He he would say our name and watch out. Because again, the circumstances that we read about are particular to Peter, but failures not. Train wrecks are not. 
So, so he would say, Peter, Peter, look out. Now watch this. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan has asked to have his way with you. Now, now the thought, the idea is you would put wheat into a kind of a basket and you toss the wheat into the air and the chaff would be blown away and the heavier wheat would fall back down. So Jesus is saying Satan has, here's that key word, Satan has asked that he could have his way with you. Now we could blow our minds trying to get our arms around. Why didn't God just say no? We could go back to Job. Why did, why did God allow Satan to mess with Job in such a big way? And there's some obvious reason. He, he was bringing glory to his name. And even in this, God is going to bring glory to his name. But I want you, the thing I want you to take home today is Satan had to ask. Write it down and believe it. Your God is in control. Nothing catches God by surprise. There are no circumstances out there where it's bigger than God and God juggling all the balls that God has to juggle misses them. Satan is not the creature that can sneak up on God or be greater than God. In fact, I'll ask you this. What is it in your life that's bigger than your God? And the answer should be nothing. Nothing. Not circumstances, not situations. God is greater than all. So take home that Satan had to ask. And again, there is a plan. There's a plan in God's sovereignty. You, you may say, why does God allow this in my life? There's a plan. And you may not see into eternity, but there's a plan. It happens when things are difficult and when things are good. Um, in failure and in success, God will bring his plan to fruition. So Satan has to ask that, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, verse 32 is so powerful. But I have prayed for you. Isn't that good? Come on now. Isn't that incredible? I have prayed for you. You're going, but Dwayne, my name's not Peter. Jesus didn't pray for me. Quatuere? That's French for our, I think. It's not French, is it? Anyway, what do you mean? In John chapter, I'm trying to lighten y'all up a little bit. In John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus, say the Lord Jesus, prays these words. Fathers, Father, I do not pray for these, his apostles alone, but for those who will believe in me through their words. Let me know. Look at me now. I want you to go with me back 2,000 years ago. And Jesus Christ had you on his mind. When he prayed those words, he would go forward and say, Laverne and Bill, and, and just on it would go, and names, and there's Sandy over there. Jesus prays for you, prayed and prays for you. He's the great interceder even today for us. Isn't that powerful? And so, and so Peter, Peter gets prayed for by Jesus. And here's the prayer I pray that your faith may not fail. And by the way, I need to tell you something. Peter's faith didn't fail. Peter's going to fail in actions, but he didn't fail in his faith. Hang in there. Hang in there. You're, you may well fail. In, in fact, if you're sitting there going, I ain't never failed. Well, you failed the lion test. Okay, you failed that one. All right. We all have failed to one degree or another. 
So I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, now watch this. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is this big. First off, notice, Jesus didn't say, and if you turn back. The outcome was never in doubt. Peter would come back. Peter would reach a point of of repentance and returning back to Jesus. The outcome was not in doubt. When you have been converted, I think the King James says, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Now, now I want to pause. This is very important. I'll step out on my little deck. One of the greatest failures and a direct result of our ability to chuck rocks at people is we lose the power of this. We have a huge tendency to keep our sin secret. We have a huge tendency to not want anyone to know that we failed. We lose that because Peter's, Jesus says about Peter, when you come back, what's he to do? Strengthen the brethren. He's supposed to be able to go back to the brothers and one day they're going to say, you know, I can't believe I denied Jesus. And Peter goes, well, I can't. Let me tell you my story. You see, there's power in a person who's walked where you walked. That's why the best sermons are not preached by me or Brent or David. The best sermons are preached by you in your life. When you're able to look a person in the eye and say, I've been where you've been. My marriage has been rocky. My children have been rebellious. I've had the dreaded cancer. I've lost a job. Um, I failed morally before. There's power in that. And the church is being robbed of that power because we are so afraid to admit that we failed. And the reason we're afraid to admit we failed is because we're afraid people will condemn us. And we're losing that. No, no, no. We're not losing it. We lost it. We lost it. You want to know the reason why you can't find? Oh, we all know about the, the Jimmy Swaggers. We know the Jim Bakers. And even today... When the name Jimmy Swaggers mentioned, you don't think of a, a powerful speaker or a great singer. You think of a man in a hotel room. You think about Jim Baker, uh, his ministry, whether you agree with it or not. You think of a man who failed financially. That's a shame. Because I'm telling you guys, there is power. When we emerge from our failure, we can help others not to fail. Please hear that today. Please hear that today. I've got a message coming up, a series I told you last week, I believe it was, on sexual purity. You would add power to that. A man or a woman will come and say, I'll testify. I'll let them know. I'm not proud of it. I'm embarrassed by it. But if if it will help someone not to walk where I have walked, I'll share. I'll share. I failed financially. When you preach about money, I'll let them know about bankruptcy because I've been there. And if it'll help someone not walk that path. See, we are family. And I'm telling you, there's power when family connects in that way. And we've got, listen, we've got, we've got, we've got to do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go ahead and, and stone Peter for the future failure. He said, I'm going to pray for you. And when you're converted, I'm not going to sit you on a shelf. I want you to work. 
Failures can work. Say that with me. Failures can work. I know there's circumstances, especially with pastors. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there's a healing work for most failure situations. Where you've walked there, you can help somebody. So, Jesus says, when you're converted, strengthen your brother. Now, now this is the hard part. In verse 33, Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. What do you see there? Peter said, I won't fail. I won't fail. And if you're here today and your, your mentality, your thought is, I'll never, I will never fail morally. I'll never fail financially. I'll never fail with my character. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. When you are to a point when you think you can't fail, Satan has got you right where he wants you and Katie bar the door, you better watch out. Katie bar the door. You better watch out. Not me, Lord. You obviously are talking about John. Or you're obviously talking about James. Or maybe you're talking about Bartholomew. He was just an honorable mention in the list anyway. Not me. And gosh, look what Jesus says. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. Jesus says, Peter, no. It's going to happen. I'm God. I can see the future. It's going to happen. I've prayed for you that your faith is not going to fail. But he would say, it's this attitude that's going to open the door for this to happen. It can't happen to me. So we fast forward a little bit. They're walking probably anyway while this is happening. And we find ourselves now in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now this is important not because it's an easy thing to preach. You know, preachers love the easy things. But again, it's so pregnant with meaning. But there's a important part that you've got to see about Peter in this failure thing. Let's sit through this real quick. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 38. Then they came to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took the three, Peter, James, and John with him, and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, does that say something? Do you see the human side of Jesus? He became to be distressed. In fact, I think this is Holman Christian Standard, I believe. The word was horrified that they used, and I actually changed it. I didn't want to use the word. But what you need to know is that Jesus was in deep, deep, deep distress. And he's the Son of God. Don't be discouraged when you get there. Because the Son of God has been there with you. In fact, you want to know something? You reckon that's why it's in the Bible? You reckon 2,000 years later that I need to be able to say to you, you have a Savior who's been where you are, if you're deeply distressed right now, if your soul's exceedingly sorrowful, if you think you're so down that you think you might die... Maybe you need to know, guess what? The Son of Man was there too. He says to them, My soul is, listen, listen, listen. My soul is sorrow, uh, swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Wow. So what do you do when you're overwhelmed, when you're swallowed up in sorrow, you pray. And here's what he prayed. He went a little further and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, 
the hour might pass from him. See, so he understood the sovereignty of God too. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to understand God has a plan. And we can pray, Father, if it's in your plan, heal me. Father, if it's in your plan, I need a job. God, if it's in your plan. If it's possible, God, let this pass from me. But here's where we stumble and fall. He goes on and says this. If it's possible for you, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. That's where we've got to get with the sovereignty of God. Not God, I want this, and God, I want that, and God, I want that, and I'm going to be mad if I don't get it. God, this is what I honestly desire. I want to live to see my grandkids get a little older. I, I I would like to be able to see a wedding day in my future. I would like to be able to provide for my family. But God, somehow, if that's not in the plan, it's not about me. It's about you, and I trust you. Even when I can't see, I trust you. So, he, he moves a little bit further. Verse 37. He came and found them what? Sleeping. Now again, I, I'm getting older and learning things. I, I, they say you're supposed to learn for a lifetime. I, I, I used to think, Peter, Jesus was kind of angry maybe. Because he came back and goes... Dude, I asked you to pray for me and you're sleeping. What's up with that? That's not it at all. And this, this scripture makes it very clear. He came back and found them asleep. And who did he say? Simon, Peter. What's up with that? Is it coincidence that it wasn't John? Is it coincidence that it was Peter? The guy who he said, I'm praying for you. And Satan's asked to sift you as wheat. And, and, and you're going to fail, but, but your faith is not going to fail. That guy? Is it any coincidence he said, Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Here's the deal. Jesus had a prayer meeting. He invited three guys particularly to the prayer meeting. And he said, here's an opportunity. I'm going to go over and pray. You need to pray too. But what was Peter supposed to be praying about? Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What was Peter's prayer meeting supposed to be about? I'm sure Jesus was somewhere in the factor. But somewhere, it was Jesus and Peter. And Peter's on his face, should have been on his face before God, saying, God, Jesus has told me that there's a possible failure in my life. And God, I need your strength. That's what the prayer meeting should have been about. And what was he doing? What was he doing? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Again, Learning a little bit more about this stuff. So often failure is intimate in our life because we don't pray. We do not pray. If you're not waking up in the morning, and don't think I'm Mr. Spiritual because you know better. But if you're not waking up in the morning saying something like this, God, please watch my eyes today because they have a tendency to look at things I shouldn't look at. 
And God, would you please guard my ears? Because they have a real tendency to hear what I should not hear. And God, would you please fill my heart with you and let my heart bleed up to my mind because it processed information. Because this thing that these two things are attached to flies off and says things that are not very nice. And you said that the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want my mouth to speak good. So would you fill my heart and fill my brain so my mouth will talk right? If you're not saying something like that, do you find yourself in trouble a lot? And I can't explain this to you, but trust me, I'm your pastor. The day somehow that the dog scratches at the door or the phone rings or I got to go to the hospital way early and I forget to drive on the way while I'm driving, the times that I don't have that conversation with God, these things want to wonder more than normal. These things want to hear more than normal. And this thing wants to say things that are worse than normal. I'm trying to help you, folks. The way to avoid, a large chunk of way to avoid failure is prayer. I just wonder, what would have happened if Peter, instead of sleeping, had been praying? What if you had been praying more? Would you experience the moral failure? The financial failure, the character failure. If you prayed more, would you have been a better mom or dad? Would you have been a better friend? If you would prayed more, would you gossip less? No. It just seems logical to me. Look at it, Scripture. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I have an amen there? Oh, how cool is the wisdom of God? I mean, so my, listen, when I pray in the mornings, my spirit's right. I mean, I'm, I've got all the good intentions in the world. But this flesh, not this, the flesh, it's, it's weak. It's weak. That's why those eyes want to wonder. That's why the ears want to hear. That's why the mouth wants to speak. It's weak. It's not that my spirit's bad. I just don't turn my flesh over to God. Like an otter. Ever experienced that before? It's not, about, it's not about you're a bad Christian. It's just that you need to listen to your spirit more and your flesh less. Incredible. Jesus understood. And he knew. So, we keep walking now. They've arrested Jesus. The, 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 all the apostles scatter like sheep, like a covey of quail. They're gone. And, and now we find ourselves in that dusty courtyard, okay, outside of Pilate's house. Or Herod's house, excuse me. Whose house are we in front of? The high priest's house. I'll get it right. So we're in this courtyard. Now listen carefully. They seized him, Jesus, and led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Now... I try to be careful not to make more of Scripture than Scripture says. But at the same time, when there's a detail that's included, there must be a reason why it's included. Okay? Look what it says. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. Here was Jesus. He was back. There must be a reason. It was fear, some other things. There must be a reason that's included. But I will tell you this. When we follow Jesus at a distance, we get in trouble. Every, especially in major failures of your life, integrity, 
character, morality, you mark it down, it is preceded by a distance falling of Jesus. That or pride, which is a distance fall of Jesus. The closer you are to Christ, the less likely you'll fall into failure. Distance can lead to failure. So Peter's falling at a distance. Verse 55, they, the folks, lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. There must be a reason why that detail is there. But for us this morning, it speaks very loudly. Don't sit with the enemy. Come on, y'all. Don't sit with the enemy. Peter has about as much business. Now, I'm proud that, listen, I'm proud that Peter was at least there. The rest of the guys all ran. But he should have found a nice corner in the courtyard by himself and had another little prayer meeting. But no, we find him right smack dab in a situation that will lead itself and put himself in that situation for that very failure that Jesus talked about. So he's sitting in the courtyard with them. When a servant saw him sitting, another one says a, a young maid, so it was probably a, our name Stanley said one time, a middle schooler, okay, saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him. She said, this man was with him too. And what did Peter do? He denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. Can we just pause here for a moment? Does anyone here besides me want to say, Peter, what are you doing there? You know, hit me once, shame, shame on me. Hit me twice, shame on you. Or vice versa. Yeah, vice versa. Why is Peter still there? Gosh. Dude, if there's some woman at the office flirting with you and you're married... Stay away from the water cooler. If, if there's someone on the softball team, and I don't know, I know we just started softball, just came to my brain. If there's someone on the softball team that you're physically attracted to and you're married, you just quit softball. I, I'm going to say this, listen. Oh, here we go. Listen. If there's someone at work you can't handle, find another job. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's probably a lot easier to find another job than a new wife. Get out. Peter sits there. And you know, and Jesus said that you'll die me three times. He's got to be going one, two, number three is fixing to come. And after about an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. A Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And by the way, another gospel records, and he cursed. He cursed. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Boom. At any point, Peter could have walked, and he didn't. When David was having the gazing thing at Bathsheba, you know, the Old Testament, David and Bathsheba thing, he was watching her take a bath. At any moment, he could have turned away. When he called and said, Who is this woman? Oh, well, this is Uriah's wife. She's married. 
he could have turned away. When he said, go get her, he could have turned away. How many times does God have to send a helicopter to rescue in a flood before we get on the helicopter? The rooster crows. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now this was what I told my Sunday school class this morning. Again, for so long in my... The fact that every time I sin, God wanted to zap me mentality... Not grace. I had to earn his performance, you know, his favor by performance. You know, I'm, I'm a failure and God doesn't like me because I'm a failure. All that twisted theology, that bad theology. I would say something like this as a young pastor. I can just imagine as Jesus looked at Peter through hurtful eyes that said, Peter, how could you do this to me? He predicted it. There was hurt in Jesus' eyes. But it wasn't because his feelings were hurt. He hurt for the brother. He hurt for the one who had denied him. That's what the look was all about. He's, Jesus is over here going, Peter, my heart breaks for you because I know what you're feeling right now and I wanted you to avoid it. I hurt for you, Peter. And when God's up in heaven, we had a discussion. It was a great discussion in Sunday school. When God's up in heaven, He hurts for us when He sees us in these circumstances. He sees us in the midst of failure. And He hurts for us. It's not an angst with Him, as Judy said. It's not God said. It's not God up there going, I can't believe I let Him in. God's up there going, my heart hurts for my people because of the situation they've put themselves in. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside. Finally, isn't that funny? He finally left the courtyard. He finally left the courtyard. And what did he do? He wept bitterly. Can you even begin to sense what Peter felt? See, this would, this would be so much powerful today if we could get where he is right now. Have you ever heard a story? Jeremy, I still can't get over Garrett. For some reason, when I saw Garrett come in that, ho- that, that restaurant, I just sensed I was in his world of hurt. And I can't get him off my mind, bro. This man came in and he was obviously so broken, dysfunctional. I said, what's the, Jeremy, what's the story of him? Well, his name is Garrett. And he told me some things about him, which I don't need to repeat right now. But I got into his world. If we could get into Peter's world, this scripture, I know it's a story you've heard a dozen times. But if we could get into where Peter is, it would help us today. Imagine the brokenness. Imagine the hurt that he felt. The disappointment. And we all probably at one time or another come to some degree of this tenure with God. This point with God. Sometimes we walk. 
I can tell you stories of people I talk to who used to go to church every single week. They weren't mad at the preacher, but some circumstance came and they walked. They've not come back. I can tell you stories of people who did have a catastrophic failure in their life. Character, integrity, financial, bad decision, moral. And they can't forget themselves. It's game over. I can tell you about parents whose kid had a moral failure or some other kind of failure. And parent just can't get over it. It's a hurtful place to be. But here's the deal. This is not the end of the story. Now, in our culture, listen to me, we're almost done. In our culture, it would be. End of story, he's no longer an apostle, he's out the door, we don't want your kind associating with us, you call yourself a Christian, how can you be a Christian and do that? We're done. We're over. I will look you dead in the eye and tell you today that that's not how God does business. God is a God of grace. And He's not a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances and fourth chances and 2,000 chances and 3,000 chances. That's just the kind of God He is. And I'm glad that He is. And you should be glad He is too. So we're going to leave Peter. We're going to leave Peter right outside the courtyard. How many of you have ever heard a man sob? Anybody? Yeah. Hard, isn't it, Greg? I mean, a broken man just sobbing uncontrollably. That's Peter. That's Peter. But just like when Jesus died on the cross, and they put him in a borrowed tomb for three days, that wasn't the end of the story. We all know the words, it was Friday... But Sunday was coming. And for Peter, there is a time of restoration. There's a time of healing coming. Right now, literally, it's, it's probably early in the morning. And it's a very dark time of the day. For Peter, it's very dark. Physically, it's very dark. But Sunday, really early in the morning. We're going to go forward about four days. Early in the morning... Some ladies went to the tomb of Jesus. And we have our first sunrise. We have our first hint of hope. And for someone here today, either on the radio or if you hear this on the internet, or perhaps in this room, you're at that very, very dark time. Your wife doesn't know. Um, your kids don't know. Kids, maybe your parents don't know. Maybe, maybe you're leading down a path. Remember this, you know, intentions do not determine destination. Path does. And you're on a path that's going to lead you to failure. You know it's there. It's the woman at the water cooler. It's the website you can't stay away from. It's kids. It's your desire for popularity in school. You're on that path. And it's a very difficult, dark time for you. Listen to these words. These are found from Mark chapter 16. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. In verse 7. But go. Tell his disciples. And Peter. 
Come on. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Let, let, me, let me set it up for you. The angel's sitting there. He's got a message from Jesus. Okay? He tells the ladies, he said, now, listen, you need to go tell his disciples. But there's one person in particular that needs to hear this. There's, there's one person that's hanging on by a thread. There's one person who just don't think he'll ever be the same. There's one person who's failed so poor, so greatly, he don't think he'll ever be the same. Tell Peter he's alive. Tell Peter he's alive. Because Peter needs to know right now that the end isn't the end. Peter needs to know that he denied him, but he lives. Peter needs to know there's hope. And some of you today need to hear that desperately. God has sent you a special message today through His Word that there is hope. This failure is not the end. And next week, we're going to dive into one of the most powerful chapters in the Word of God in the New Testament. John chapter 21. And see how our Savior masterfully restores Peter. And sends them out with a new task at hand. Would you bow your heads, please? So how about you today? Perhaps you're here today. And for you, this is all new news. You didn't know there was a God who loved you. There was, you didn't know there was a God about grace. You thought God was just waiting to send the light and bolt your way because he hated you. And you've heard today, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Discount what a lot of churches or pastors would tell you about God. He loves you. How much? He allowed Jesus, His Son, to die on a cross for you. Paying the price for your sin. You know, it'd be my privilege today to stand down here If you'd like to know more about Jesus, more about forgiveness, more about grace, more about starting over, more about hope in dark situations, I'd be glad to share with you about my friend Jesus Christ. If you're here today, and I know given the culture we have, we we aren't public about our failures. But I want you to hear very clearly. If you're in the midst of it, you're coming out of it, you're in the midst of it, or you see one coming, God loves you. And if you've already committed that failure, especially a simple failure, he waits to forgive you. You've got to be willing, though, to forgive yourself to move forward. If you're on a path that's going to lead to sin, turn around right now. God loves you. He'd say, turn around. Turn around. If you're here today and you know someone, it may be a brother, it may be a sister, maybe your dad, maybe your mom, maybe a child. Perhaps you're a student and you know a, another student in high school who's going down a path. It's going to lead to a train wreck. And maybe you just want to pray for them today. The altar will be open for that also. I hope you just can't wait to come back next week and hear the end. Well, no, really, the rest of the story. God, I love you today. I stand today you, as, a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as Teresa says, a gracious believer in Jesus Christ. And I thank you for your amazing, wonderful grace. 
Thank you, God, that you're in control, that you're sovereign. And Satan is not, but you are. I pray for my friend here who's been so scarred by this world and you want to restore them and love them and save them and forgive them. Give them the courage today to walk down and take my hand and say, Pastor, I need that new start. I need that new start. Father, for my friends in this room, my brothers and sisters, perhaps a failure is in their past and they just can't get over it. Perhaps they're in one right now and you sent this message in a timely fashion for them. Perhaps, Father, there's one right around the corner, but they've seen now the path that they're on. Give them the courage to change. God, have your way. Thank you, Father, that you want to bless, to encourage, and you love us. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.